Welcome back. This week on the podcast, I talk with Tony Kashtulas. Tony K is the president at Pelham Medical Center. And since taking that position in 2012, Pelham Medical Center and that community has flourished. Tony is born and raised in Alabama. Um, his parents moved here from Greece, and he's been in and out of the healthcare industry really since college, um, holding a number of positions, but he's an incredible leader, um, and he is one of the individuals that has really created the environment at Pella Medical Center, at Gibbs Cancer Center, and the other facilities they have, um, that have that has made them flourish and become one of the top hospitals um, in the state of South Carolina and in the country. And it's not just what they do in the surgery room and, and how they, um, the things they do on site to, to treat um, sicknesses or injuries. Um, it's about what they do with their employees and the community. Um, their patient experience is top in the country. Um, they have some designations around surgery and orthopedic surgery um, that puts them the only one in South Carolina. Um, and it was just awesome catching up with Tony, um, learning his story, then learning um, his vision and the leadership behind you know what he has helped create at Pelham Medical Center. It's also very exciting to announce that Pelham Medical Center is a new sponsor for the podcast. It's an incredible partnership. Uh, we've been working on it for a few months and uh, very proud to, uh, to announce that and have a partnership with Tony and the individuals over there. Um, what they do is incredible. It's uh, what I would say is it is the best hospital in South Carolina. And um, if you live in Greenville or you live in the upstate of South Carolina, um, I would highly recommend you taking a look at their service offerings. Their link is in the show notes. So you can go to directly to their um, web website and see all the things they offer. But um, they offer some incredible services that we can all use in any time in our life. So um, it was awesome learning about Tony how they've developed that culture, and then, of course, all, they think, all the things they do um, over in that community at Pelham Medical Center, at Gibb Cancer Center, and the other facilities they have there. Another amazing sponsor of the show um, that is so involved with the community is Spinks. Spinks is, for a long time, um, I always knew them as a convenience store. I kind of heard that they did a lot for the community, but growing up, you know, I didn't really know exactly what that meant. Um, but they invest in their communities. They give back millions and millions of dollars to incredible organizations like the March of Dimes, the Cancer Society, and others um, for the communities that they're in. You know, you might know them as their the gas station, nice, bright gas station, some incredible food, but just know what they do in their communities is they give back to those communities. So know if you see them, support your local Spinks because they are supporting um, the communities that they are in. And then one of my other favorite local sponsors is Rebel Rabbit. Rebel Rabbit, in my mind, is kind of the future of socializing. It's on a mission to socialize smarter and healthier. For far too long, we've been drinking alcohol as we socialize because we think that's what we do. But Rebel Rabbit um, is informing us. They're educating us on all the negative side effects. And Rebel Rabbit is alcohol-free. It is Delta 9 infused, so in not, uh, infused with cannabis, legal, um, and it has a couple different flavors, but the good thing is you're not going to get any of the negative side effects that you get with alcohol. You're going to get a good night's rest. You're going to be a wake up and be productive in the days following. You can still get that feeling of being social and letting loose a little bit, uh, but I would highly recommend if, if you're looking for an alternative or if you just want to try a Rebel Rabbit Seltzer. They are racking up the retailers all over the country, and you can get it shipped directly to your front door. Their link is also in the show notes. If you use promo code LIFE20, you'll get 20% off your order. But if you just go to that link anyways, it'll take you to that discount code, order some of their products, and uh, try it out for yourself because I highly recommend it. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Tony K. Tony K, I was telling you, that um, I felt special being in here and contributing in my way, like my dad did for so many years here. But um, first off, thank you for having me, and how you doing? Uh, doing great, thanks. I'm glad you're here doing this. Uh, we appreciate you uh, considering Fellow Medical Center for a spot. That's right. Um, for a long time now, I feel like I've known about Pellon Medical Center and the things y'all do here, um, and I'm excited to hopefully educate the Greenville community and people around the upstate 
more about Pelham Medical Center and Gibbs and all the incredible things you'll have. But I'm a little interested in you to start. Mm. Um, I've never heard anybody pronounce your last name. So how do you properly pronounce your last name? Kuskalekas. Kuskalekas. Just like it's spelled. Where is it? Where are you from? Uh, Alabama. Alabama. Where's your family from? A lot of Kuskalekas in Alabama. No, not a lot of that. Uh, that's a Greek name. Both my parents grew up in Greece and uh, decided to come to America to give their family a better life, which they did. Uh, and they came here in the late, well, my dad got his master's and PhDs in the States and then went back to Greece for a time and then came for good in the late 60s. Were they, um, was your dad a teacher? He was. He was a professor at Auburn University. And uh, that's what got him to the States for good. And you, what was life like for you? Do you have brothers and sisters growing up? A brother. He's eight years older. So, you know, he's he's sort of evolved in my mind over time. He was sort of a hero to me, you know, for so many years. Uh, and, uh, um, and now he's, you know, we're just both adults together. It's just hard to believe I have a brother in, in his 60s, you know, <laughs> and because, uh, you yeah, know, you still feel young. But, uh, yeah, just the two of us and uh, mom and dad and um, had a great set of parents who taught us right from wrong and instilled a lot of hard work values and other things. And uh, they both passed on, but it's just me and my brother now and some family back in Greece. Does um does your brother live in Alabama still? He does. He lived in North Carolina for a long time, but uh, had an opportunity to move back. And they they actually live up in the uh, northwestish part of the the state, um, outside of Florence. Got it. With um, you went to Auburn. Your dad taught at Auburn. Did he have to convince you to go to Auburn, or was that a choice you wanted to do? No, he didn't really have to convince me. Although I did apply to some other places, he let me know though that. Uh, where I went and where the money went, uh, you know, might not be two two different, might be two different places if I didn't rethink it. But I, I really never wanted to go anywhere else. And um, I'm thankful that one of my kids um, went there, um, had the same great experience I did. And uh, um, I, I wish that my father had uh, and mother had been alive while he was a student there. But uh, yeah, so we got three generations of, of Auburn people. The family tradition. I was guessing looking at did you study engineering while in school? I did. Um, you know, pretty analytical. And when you're in high school, not many people really know what they want to do. I knew that I, you know, wasn't going to go into medicine and didn't think I wanted to go into business. Most of the friends I had uh, in high school, you know, we were talking about mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering, kind of fascinating stuff. And Started off as a mechanical engineering uh, student, and the first class in the program is something called statics, which is just studying bridges and other things that don't move. Mm -hmm. And I made a C, and I said, boy, if this is the baseline course, um, I might want to rethink this, <laughs> and um, found uh, what's called industrial engineering, which is uh, much more process-oriented and um, you know statistics-driven improvement. Uh, and just fell in love with the discipline primarily because um, not only it fit my uh, analytical mind, but also you can really work in any, any industry. Mm -hmm. Historically, a lot of IEs work in uh, manufacturing plants, other things, doing productivity studies, ergonomics. Um, knew that I probably didn't want to do that and learned that, you know, healthcare was a place and uh, got on with a company that hired industrial engineers and put them in hospitals and really pretty early on there, fell in love with being in a hospital. Uh, and, and instead of doing that work for my career, I, you know, most of the people I worked with at that time were hospital administrators. You, the work they did fascinated me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what drove me to want to do that. With, um, cause at one point, what got you to Charlotte? Well, that company that hired me, Sun Health, they're now uh, part of a larger organization called Premier, um, uh, based heard. in Charlotte and, um, uh, and placed, uh, industrial engineers all over the the southeast uh, north carolina south carolina georgia florida uh there were you know probably 150 people and and uh, you know it was a fascinating environment to learn in I, I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of really smart people uh, both my age and older who taught me a lot and um and what i really liked that a traditional you know masters of healthcare administration type program didn't wouldn't have given me is i really learned the guts of the hospital mm -hmm. from a to z um I learned how everything worked at a detailed level much more than I ever would. So I think it prepared me. Uh, it took me longer to sort of advance uh, in the way that a traditional um, hospital administrating uh, hospital administration student might um, grow and advance. Um, 
but I wouldn't trade it because of what I was able to learn. Uh, you know, it's it's hard when you're leading people who, um, particularly clinical people, you mm -hmm. don't do that work as a non-clinician. Um, it helps a lot to understand what they really do. And that, that time of seven years really prepared me, I think, for that. Yeah. You, um, you might not know this, but you share UNC Charlotte with my mom also went to UNC Charlotte. That's thanks. Well, I knew your dad was a big South Carolina guy. I didn't know. I knew they were both from Charlotte, but yep. I didn't know that she went to UNCC. Yeah, much different school now. It sure is. It's grown a lot. When she went. Yeah, and even when I was there. Uh, but now, I mean, it's a, it's a destination school. It was a mm -hmm. commuter school when I first moved to Charlotte. Not anymore. Yeah, without a doubt. With... Um, with your career path, did you have an idea at that point, you know, what kind of administration you wanted to get in or what was your focus? Yeah, you know, uh, again, I, I think to some extent, um, you know, we're, we're fellow medical centers, what you call an acute care hospital. Mm -hmm. So people that come and stay for an acute episode, a short period of time versus, say, a long-term care facility or a nursing home mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. Um, and that was the kind of work that the, the Sun Health and then Premier was primarily with the acute care hospitals. So I knew I liked that environment. Um, you know, the challenge is um, any organization and in any industry you're in has got a natural career path to mm -hmm. it. And, and because mine was not natural, you know, I had to think about ways I might have an opportunity to do some things. And so uh, really, my hope was just to get on board eventually with a healthcare system that saw value in the experience I might have, mm -hmm. and then uh, determine if I could be a leader in an organization like that. And I did. I, I had an opportunity with Atrium Healthcare, which was Carolina's healthcare system mm -hmm. in Charlotte at the time, uh, I and huge, and um, moved into an organ a part of the organization that did very similar work, a lot of planning, um, operational improvement kind of work, and with that. Uh, got to work all across the entire enterprise and had an incredible amount of exposure into large projects as well as mentors who uh, eventually put me in a spot to land at one of the hospitals as an operational leader uh, there as a vice president. And, and then I guess the the rest, they say, is history. And I, I've uh, worked there for 14 years, seven at uh, uh, a hospital uh, actually out near UNC Charlotte, Carolina's Medical Center University, which I think has changed names a couple of times now and, and then have been here for almost 12 years. Is um, Do one of those mentors stand out? Um, you know, I have great, I have, really can look back on having great mentors at each stage. And maybe not even a professional, also personal. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I've been very blessed. Uh, Elizabeth Rines was the very first boss I had at uh, Sun Health, and she was a Georgia Tech grad, industrial engineer, um, and I learned an incredible amount from her, really how to do the job well, and and uh, and, and really as much uh, as it is analytical, it's about people. Um, had another boss when I first joined uh, what was then Carolina's healthcare system, a guy named Steve Wilhoyt, who was a um, on the partner track at one of the big five um, consulting firms at the time, and and uh, the group we were in had had hired people with experience like mine and others consulting, and um, he really taught me a lot about uh, being an executive um, mm -hmm. as well as interacting with executives, particularly at a large healthcare system like that, and learned a ton from him. And then my former boss, a hospital president named Spencer Lilly, uh, who uh, you know I still keep in contact with him. He's uh, been able to pretty much semi-retire now, but uh, was just a great um, mentor for me in the sense of um, always trying to do things right, thinking about not only the patient but staff, mm -hmm. and really caring about people that you work with. Um, and um, but was able, uh, he and I complemented each other very well, and yeah. and the chief nursing officer, and he really. Um, let me um, sort of exercise what gifts I had against his. And we really, that was a really great team uh, to work with. I have very fond memories of working with him and Rose, the CNO at the time. Yes, sir. I just got back from a leadership conference and um, some of the speakers, a lot of them spoke about you got to find some mentors, some people with fruit on the trees that you, where you want to be. And, um, you know, that's such an important part of your growth as an individual um, in all aspects of your life with, with, I think it was the village at Pelham at the TPM mm -hmm. or Pelham Medical Center, which it is now. When did you first start hearing about Pelham Medical Center and the village at Pelham at the time? Yeah. You talk about divine intervention where I was before I, I was at a point where I was really ready 
for a, an opportunity. I had looked around at, at other organizations um, and really not looking at all. I got uh, in my inbox a job announcement about something called the Village at Pelham, which, frankly, I had never heard of. Um, I had heard of Spartanburg Regional, mm-hmm. um, but had never heard of the Village at Pelham. And at first I thought, well, what you know, what is this? And then when I read it, I was like, well, this couldn't be more perfect in terms of what I would really like to do. Uh, I immediately almost responded to the recruitment firm and sent a resume and and uh, and quickly sort of determined that uh, might be a solid candidate. So, but it, but at first I had no idea what you know what it was until I learned. Okay, Spartanburg Regional, I know where that is. What was also um, you know a, a great blessing is that my, you know hospital administrators have tended to move around a lot. Mm-hmm. I chose not to do that, which can slow your career growth down a little bit. And as, um, but I chose not to do that. And my wife and I, you know, with family, she grew up in Florida. I grew up in Alabama, had always said, if we were going to move, we'd really like to move west instead of east, not further than Charlotte. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, I mean, this is right down the road, yeah. the direction we want to go. And, you know, you come down here and start meeting people. It's like, this is a great place. Yeah, really. I mean, in 2012, I think you came on board. I mean, just the growth you've seen since then has been incredible. Yeah, pretty, uh, you know, one uh, one story I hope I never uh, have enough dementia to forget is that, uh, you know, early in my time, uh, you know, it's, we're a 48-bed hospital. Um, early in my time, we only staffed one of the nursing floors routinely. Uh, it had 24 mm-hmm. of those beds on the floors, and um, somewhere along in the first several weeks, we ended up having to open the fourth floor because we were just full. And I I remember asking the question, I started in September, uh, and I said, hey, uh, when's the last time y'all had to do this? And they're like, Tony, we hadn't opened since March. Uh, and then, so, you know, first time in, in six months, the place has to open additional floor. And then about every two weeks, we had to start um, staffing it. Uh, staff were always great to either pick up extra shifts or we leveraged our PRN staff. Uh, and then it became to the point where we, Got, we got to open this floor. Yeah. Um, now we'll we'll staff the number of beds we need to, but we got to open this floor. So, really, just in that first year alone, uh, we were really hit with um, a lot of a lot of quick growth. And in the ER too, the ER, uh, it, you know, every hospital is a little different, but the ER is a front door for a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. And in our case, it's definitely uh, the front door. Uh, and the ER volumes kept growing and growing, and people needed to be put in a bed. We we had to expand. With um with Pella Medical Center, you know I I know personally just because of my connection all the incredible things y'all have done and accomplished mm-hmm. over the years. But what was it like when you first stepped on board, and when what was the village or what was the vision at the time of Village at Pelham, and then eventually towards a name change and mm-hmm. and what was going on then? Yeah, so going back to when the place started, uh, there was a great vision. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the economy kind of tanked it. But the, the idea was in this intersection of Westmoreland Road and Highway 14 uh, was to have a village. And, and health care was a component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the campus was a medical office building. And then the hospital was built across the street where intended to be some retail opportunities. Uh, and another street corner, uh, there might be some uh, long-term care, residential, retirement kind of communities, and, and health care was going to be a centerpiece of that. The economy really kind of killed particularly the real, uh, uh, the real, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, um, the retail, retail, thank yeah. you. Um, uh, senior moment that, uh, you know, just killed the retail at the, comp- at the time. And then we, you know, we, we own that land, but weren't really able to do anything with it. Uh, along that time, you know, in my early here, I learned, you know, getting to meet people in the community. Greer, uh, you know, we Greer was very appreciative of having more than one hospital, um, wanted the hospital to be involved. But the further, you know, you start going outside of Greer, people really, where do you work? I've never heard of that place. Or is, yeah. is that that Villages I hear on the TV, you know? And it's like, uh, no, we're not the friendliest hometown. We're friendly, but we're that's in Florida, you know? And people thought we were a nursing home. So, we decided to rebrand, uh, and uh, and we have a hospital advisory board, and they helped navigate that for us. It was really we changed the the village was a wonderful concept, um, but the uh, the name change really came because we had an awareness issue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember um, when I would tell people where my dad worked, mm. I would say the village at Pelham, and, and they'd be like, "What is that?" I'm like, "It's a hospital, man. It's like 15 <laughs> minutes by me." <laughs> yep, yep. 
as a as a hospital grows, how do y'all decide what you specialize in? Because um, I think for the you know I know here it's y'all have had some incredible designations and y'all do a lot of spine surgery yeah. and orthopedics. Like how do y'all navigate what you specialize in? Yeah, I mean I, some of that is strategy. Some of it might be a little luck too. But I, I think generally, you know, an acute care hospital, we kind of set out to be just a hospital that you would traditionally think of of almost any hospital. They do medicine, you know, take care of heart attack patients, mm-hmm. strokes, as well as do some surgeries. Um, we were fortunate to have um, uh, a, a great spine surgeon who's since left us, um, who really wanted to try to build uh, something, as well as another hip and knee surgeon who still is here, who again wanted to try to build mm-hmm. something. So um, as they got busier and busier, we started doing more and more hip and knee, more and more spine, and they um, had to recruit partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the 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 orthopedic growth has really been born out of those physicians being experts at what they do and having a willing participant in the hospital to help grow around them. At the same time, um, you know, we really made a conscious decision not to be a specialty hospital. Uh, If we had more places, more locations, we might have considered that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at some of the facilities in Greenville, um, there's more hospitals with another healthcare system, and they have some luxury about what they might do in one hospital or another. Um, this is the only uh, SRHS outpost out here, and so we really wanted to cater to the community. Uh, and um, and so what you have to do, you know, healthcare is is different than many other businesses. You know, I'm I'm certain BMW, for example, has its own approval, uh, but they build cars, and if they grow too much or grow enough where they need to expand, they expand. In our case, uh, up until recently, not only did we have to make that decision, but we had to have the state's approval if we wanted to make expansions through something called certificate of need. Um, And most of the things you do, beds, operating rooms, these are very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have a real strong business case to expand. Um, And so, you know, all that goes into building a hospital, if you will. But we've been very fortunate that um, we had some expert providers who got us off the ground and they grew so much we needed to bring other surgeons on in those specialties and as we grew we expanded our primary care network which um, created needs for other things medical subspecialties like gastroenterology or other surgical disciplines um, that that needed to support those providers and so that's really how we've grown with um y'all did get i guess approval for an expansion what went into that expansion and I could be off, but it was like 2019 or so. Uh, that's right. Uh, we we expanded the ER. Um, now, as our as our bed utilization increased, so I mentioned earlier before we went, you know, to operating one floor to both floors. Um, we expanded the ER and added what we call nine observation beds. Um, beds are licensed by the state, uh, and essentially what that means is that. Um, uh, the number of beds for which you're licensed, we're licensed for 48, that you can only have up to that many true inpatients in a bed at any one time. Observation is a different status for a bedded patient. They're, ac- they're actually an outpatient, uh, but they still get the same care as an inpatient. It frankly is a Medicare rule or largely built around trying to reduce overall cost. <laughs> so um, those nine observation beds are were not licensed beds, but we can still house patients who need a bed there. Mm-hmm. And so we operate 57 beds now. The long-term plan would be if and when we grow that, that those nine beds would be taken over by the ER at some point as Got we've it. grown. They're going to need more space, um, and it's ready-made when we are able to build more inpatient beds. As uh, as you do research on on y'all's operation here, and you you start going down the list of these awards y'all have received over the years, um, you need a whole like shelf, you know, multiple shelves to put these on. I guess to me, sometimes the most important awards would be like places to work Mm -hmm. because that involves either co-workers the people in the community that actually work here um what do you think is special about pella medical center and the community within the workplace hands down it truly is the people Uh, you know before i got here there was an intent around trying to be different oriented around the patient Mm -hmm. and um a big part of that is having a great workplace and so that foundation was laid and 
that was something we were doing in Charlotte at the hospital where I was before. And so you talk about a match made in heaven. It was, it was evident you start meeting people and it's like, wow, these are great people here. And you throw out ideas and you're not getting pushback as the new guy. Um, you know, what I found is that everybody really wanted to be part of something special. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we've tried to do is uh, never lose that. Uh, you know, we start culturally with our associates. There's no doubt that we're here to, uh, and called to take care of patients. But um, if you don't have a great team of people, then quality care, great customer service will not follow. And so we've really tried to create a great workplace. It is nice. I, I, you know, I, I definitely love the fact that we do get some awards. It's quite nice. I, I would say we don't really generally try to pursue the awards. The best places to work is one where we actually sort of pursued it because the process you go through there's some surveys involved and you get Mm -hmm. great feedback. We've always done annual associate engagement surveys, but the best places to work process is really a different set of data. It's enabled us to look at our demographic mix of people and try to get, you know, isolate where we may have opportunities to improve the workplace. Generally speaking, the other awards, um, thankfully have been bestowed on us. Uh, (laughs) A lot of them um, are really just that. Uh, There have been some we've pursued, but it really boils down to the people we have here. We have great great leaders, uh, and great, great associates. With, um, to piggyback off of that, and I think it was a perfect segue, is the people you have here have helped develop a culture where your patient experience mm-hmm. has thrived. Um, talk to me how y'all's focus is on patient experience. And I mean, to throw another award, like you're in the top 5%, I think, in the country for patient experience. Yep. Uh, so that's something that all hospitals have to, um, uh, collect data for and and report. Uh, it's a governmental requirement. It, it's something healthcare systems were doing anyway, but it is part of the way that we're evaluated and paid through Medicare. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I think it. We've tried to hire the the peop, the right people who want to be part of something special. Mm-hmm. So you know, using your dad, I'm not blowing sunshine. You know, your dad ran restaurants. He knew how to take care of people and wanted to be part of uh, an org- an operation. In his case separately, if, hey, look, if I don't treat people well, I'm not going to make money mm-hmm. and I got to feed my family. We have that very same mindset here is that uh, every customer interaction, whether it's an x-ray, a major surgery, somebody comes through the ER is that uh, those people need us and we're here to provide the best experience that we can. And so really, our, our I think our best strength is hiring the right people <laughs> uh, is uh, we do put people through a uh, um, all across our system, uh, an extended interview process. Uh, we involve team members and help and hire the right people that are going to fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been very fortunate with hiring a lot of great people who then in turn deliver that great service and care to patients. Yeah. The people make the difference. I mean, I, it reminds me again of the leadership conference I was just at. They just talked about the people that, that you hire, that you bring on board, really, you know, make your make your company what it is. With the community, y'all, you know, I think have always been involved in the community, um, but y'all make sure that's a big part of what y'all are trying to do. Can you talk about, you know, that push towards the community and some of the things y'all are involved in? Yeah, um, happy to. So there's really two primary reasons. Uh, One is uh, we're a mission-driven organization, so we're a nonprofit healthcare enterprise. Part of our job is to take care of everybody regardless of their ability to pay. Um, And so we have some sort of mission-driven things we do, whether they're screenings, uh, learnings, that kind of thing, to try to put people in a position to lead a healthier life. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is growth-oriented. Like I mentioned uh, when we started talking, that you know people in the area just didn't know much about us. And so we've really tried to invest in a lot of different organizations that will enable us to become hopefully trusted in the community, Yeah, uh, that facilitates us being um, uh, look to as a as a partner who uh, people might leverage for their health care um, or or leverage something in the community that makes the community better. So we're heavily tied, you know, with a number of chambers of commerce, but uh, uh, most of the things we try to invest in are what I'd call mission related. So we do a number of things with schools. We do some things with other nonprofits. One of those being Senior Action in Greenville, which is a a senior oriented organization, as the name would indicate, um, to try to help them live just very fruitful senior years. Your dad was on the board uh, at one time and uh, introduced me to that. But what we found was 
an organization that did a lot of great things, they, but they wanted some partnerships in some other areas. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to bring uh, the clinically oriented needs that they had uh, to the fore. We've had a longstanding diabetic education uh, program. Uh, and what we've tried to do is get as many people involved uh, as possible. Traditionally, um, you know, the role outside the organization falls to the hospital CEO and maybe a few other people. Uh, but we've invested in an outreach team that does great work, again, connecting with schools, neighborhoods, um, universities, any any organization, uh, faith-based organizations that might have a real need uh, and where we can provide either some expertise or assistance, mm-hmm. we want to try to do that. Yeah, and I think, um, I know too, some like the events that go on in the city, like the BMW Pro-Am mm-hmm. event and um, some of the sports teams, I know, you know, y'all are heavily involved with that, with, with healthcare in general, you know, I think it's always a hot topic and people are trying to figure out where, what healthcare is doing and how's it, how's it changing in your mind, where do you see healthcare changing and kind of where it's going? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, it, I will definitely say in the 30 plus years of doing this, it, there's definitely been an evolution. You know, one thing that hadn't changed is the patient at the center and taking care of that person, whether they're incredibly sick or nervous about something or having something simple done, but still, you know, nervous about it. Even people getting an x-ray might be nervous because it's like the doctor ordered this x-ray. Yeah, definitely. I don't know why or, or I know why he or she ordered it, but I don't know what they're going to see, you know, kind of thing. That hadn't changed at all. I think um, what has changed, I think people's uh, as a society have changed a little bit uh, in terms of, uh, you know, demanding things you might demand from a regular retail enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, why do I have to wait two weeks to go see a doctor? Why do I have to wait uh, to get my results or what have you? And 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 some of that has been very, very good. I mean, we've had to respond. Generational, uh, generational differences have different values. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether it's virtual care, that kind of thing, people, you know, my, I have a 27-year-old son and, and he's like, dad, I, I don't want to go to the doctor. Yeah. I just want to. Well, I get it. Well, here's some options for you. Um, but they just demand certain things that, you know, I, as 55-year-old man, uh, look at it as that's how it's been. That's the way it's done. I would say long-term, the biggest evolution I can see is is ultimately how healthcare gets paid. I mean, any business, whether it's a restaurant or you own a cleaning business or a hospital, you know, how you offer service is going to be built around how you get paid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're not in the business of making hamburgers or building cars, Um but healthcare is a very complex business. There are many services that do make money based on the way we get paid. There are others that we do because they're needed services that you don't make money. In fact, you lose money. But, you know, inpatient medical care, for example, is a great example. It's uh, very costly. The payments primarily from Medicare and even from insurance companies don't don't stack up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's a concept called population health, which is basically oriented around instead of paying a hospital or a doctor for every episode they do, um, we want you to take care of a population of people and um, do it as efficiently as you can. And so there's something called a per member per month kind of payment that instead of, of you getting paid for the surgery that you do, you might get paid X amount per person under your care per month to take care of them and do the best you can to try to drive costs down and quality up. So, um, you you know, assuming that happens in my career lifetime, that's probably going to be the most radical. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of how you take care of people and how you build trust, that I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. I know that like how you're going to get paid is always a big topic. Um, And it seems like it is ever changing and there's are more options coming available. a big thing, and and it's not just in healthcare, is artificial intelligence and AI. Um, I've you know listened to some people talk about AI and incorporating it into healthcare. Have you all looked into it much, and do you see that playing a role? We have, and I definitely think it'll play a role. Um, thankfully, I think our organization, like most that we've spoken with and benchmarked with, take up I don't want to say a cautious approach, but a a, a, a slow moving approach. Mm-hmm. In that, I think there's a belief. You know, you see something work with a game or something like that, that artificial intelligence, that's going to make healthcare better. Healthcare is still a human judgment kind of yeah. business, and a robot isn't going to be able to take better care of somebody than a human, certainly from a, a compassion perspective. On the flip side, there are, I think, some real applications mm-hmm. that are that are evident 
um, that um, our organization and many others have either evaluated or taken advantage of or will. So one example is, you know, okay, can a, with enough image review, can a, a, an AI algorithm read an x-ray? Yes. Yeah. Um, and in fact, they may find some things that a doctor might not find. Um, on the flip side, they're not going to have the judgment that a physician has. So I think what we'll probably see over the mm-hmm. next 10 years or more is mostly um, what I'll call consultative components is mm-hmm. that, hey, I'm taking care of all these people upstairs and, and we've got 50 patients in the house. Um, this particular patient, um, you know, was sick. Uh, an AI, an AI algorithm might be able to identify based on some other things, you know, this person might be likely to get sepsis and get even sicker at the mm-hmm. hospital. Or, you know, here's some things you might want to consider with this patient based on all the data we've accumulated and the condition that he or she is here for. And the doctor can look at that and say, you know, that's actually pretty reasonable. Yeah. You know, don't know that missing it would have caused harm, but that's really reasonable. Let's take a look at this. I think that's where the first big step is going to be. I don't think it's going to take away the need for physicians or nurses or other other staff members yeah. anytime soon. And in fact, I I doubt it ever will. I'd like to think it never would. Yeah, I don't. I did. Th- you know, I don't think it'll ever do that. I do think it could provide value, and like you said, reading reports. You know, if yep. I could just like analyze reports or somebody's healthcare history. And just be able to provide like an assistance. That's another great example. That that is one where I, I would say if there's like the most use across the industry now, that is certainly one what they call administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, physicians even with an electronic me- medical record still have to document. Sometimes that documentation is free text. Um, you know, with um, voice recognition technology now, uh, there could be ways to not only um, collect that but make that the note um, and and have a physician really just review that note instead of having to do all the documentation themselves. There's billing related things and other administrative type tasks that could make people more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, healthcare has been a very people dominated business and like any business, you know, you have to look for ways to, to manage to the revenue that you have coming in. And so if there are ways to truly make people more productive without adding another body um, we definitely would want to do that. And, and those administrative tasks is one area where that's really occurring now. Yeah, like drive efficiency. Absolutely. Rebel Rabbit is on a mission to provide a healthier and smarter way to socialize and drink. Their alcohol-free cannabis-infused seltzers are perfect for anybody just trying to kick back and relax after a hard day at work or on the golf course with your friends or hanging out at a party and you want to wake up and feel better the next day. Their seltzers are perfect for you. They are a great alternative to alcohol as well. Their website is drinkrebelrabbit.com. Use promo code LIFE20. You'll get 20% off your order. That link is in the show notes. But join the mission and start drinking and socializing smarter with Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. Another part of y'all's incredible operation out here is the Gibbs Cancer City Center. State-of-the-art facility, incredible, it's beautiful. How did that come about? Yeah, so going back a little bit, you know, there there were some very wise physicians and leaders in the community and at the hospital ages ago to start a really world-class cancer center in Spartanburg. Um, there were a couple of doctors who had um, uh, local boys who came back and, and wanted to have that level of care that you can get in a bigger city delivered in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And so um, first, it started with a vision, uh, like most things, ultimately expanded into partnering with uh, really arguably the world's most renowned cancer center, MD Anderson in Houston. Uh, we became an affiliate, and they helped uh, long before I got here. Those those folks really understand what it takes to be a world-class cancer center, and we've since grown out of that relationship, frankly. Um, with the growth happening in the upstate, uh, the decision was made to plant a facility here. And if you look at the entire upstate, really, this campus is 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 right in the middle mm-hmm. of that. And 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 the premise was, um, look, we need to have uh, places where growth is occurring, so people don't have to travel far, and to be able to give uh, great care for people close to home. What um, what has really, I think, separated that, and I, I don't say this just because I'm employed by Spartanburg Regional Healthcare System, but we're really very fortunate in this in the upstate to have a resource 
like uh, the Gibbs Cancer Center. You you would not typically find the depth of resources we have. No disrespect to any other healthcare system around uh, that other than in a big city. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we've invested a lot. Part of the investment here is to bring care closer to home for people. We have both radiation and fusion. Um, something that our team has always done is what we call multidisciplinary conferences. When someone presents with cancer, a team of surgeons, uh, medical doctors, uh, radiologists, uh, other uh, non-physician clinicians get together and talk about that case. And ultimately try to identify what does the evidence say uh, is the best course of treatment for this person. Mm-hmm. And uh, that multidisciplinary conference approach is at the core of that and what's done. But we, we built uh, the, the, uh, the buildings here um, uh, first with the radiation building because people needed care and we didn't want to have to have them drive to Spartanburg yeah. uh, for every treatment. And, and in many cases, you know, radiation requires a lot of different treatments. So you got somebody I got to go six weeks. I got to drive 30 miles up the road or wherever they may live. So that was the first step. And then building uh, the tower that we did, which is all outpatient, um, was, again, intended to give people a a place closer to home that they could trust uh, for either their care, a second opinion, um, or uh, lifetime management. Yeah. Are they able, on the services front, are they able to get, like, their full scope of services at the Gibbs Cancer Center? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, some things we don't do on this campus yet. You know, we have some physician disciplines that are just in short supply that we might not have on this campus yet. But but by and large, yes, uh, there are some things that you might naturally be uh, referred to uh, a specialized place, uh, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what kind of cancer you may have. But by and large, um, chemotherapy, other infusions, uh, um, radiation therapy and surgery, surgical options are all available in our system. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if you've got something that is, uh, you know, there really is one specialist in the in the world or the country who can do that, uh, whether that's at MUSC or at a Duke or somewhere in Charlotte or Atlanta, we we definitely will refer people there when we're not capable. Yeah. And there are plenty of those. Uh, you know, there are certain things that just uh, a very small group of people are experts at. It, um, it did remind me of kind of the Myers Center in a way, where you have the approach of like trying to be able to provide most or all services under one roof to make it easier on the patient and the family, which Myerson is a different operation, but um, I think that approach is, is really cool. With uh, I was reading, and it said within the Carolinas, Pella Medical Center is the only orthopedic center of excellence. What does that mean? Yeah, so that's uh, one we're building off of the earlier questions you had about uh, orthopedics. I, you know, what we and our physicians primarily felt like is, is that, um, you know, this is really about quality care. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to validate that our care is as world-class as it can be. I'll call it world-class. And so one of the things we pursued was an outside designation. um, And every hospital in the country is uh, evaluated um, by either a company called the Joint Commission or DNV, which is what we use. It's pretty common for those organizations to all also have disease-specific or discipline-specific discipline, discipline certifications that are built around, well, this is proven to be the best quality that drives the best outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so we did. We pursued um, this outside center of excellence designation to help us validate that our spine care, that our foot and ankle care, that our hip and knee care was really the best um, it could be. And it really wasn't about doing as many surgeries as we could. It was about taking these people with hip and knee, spine, foot and ankle problems and taking the best care of them. And, um, and that's what it's been, uh, has enabled us to do. Uh, you know, some of the things we were already doing, um, we, for example, have always had what we call spine camp or joint camp where people come in ahead of their surgery, where we try to teach them prior to their surgery, how to get prepared for the surgery and how they're going to recover. Um, but, you know, in terms of the clinical aspects of care, having the physicians and our staff and other clinicians at the table has really, I think, elevated how we take care of people, the things we measure uh, to validate that, A, someone needs a surgery, but B, when they get it, they're going to recover in the best way possible so that they can go back to living mm-hmm. their life. And so uh, it was really about quality and pursuing that, and, and it and it helps to have an outside validation for that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool to see. With um, with you, you 
you know, you're obviously a, a key member to this operation organization. Like you said, it's the people that make it run. With you outside of your professional life, what are what are things you like to do? Uh, you know, there I have uh, a few joys. Uh, you know, my family is certainly one of them. I have three three boys, and uh, how is that growing up? Well, it was a never a dull moment, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, they're about three years stair stepped apart from one to two and two to three, and and they they really have been a great blessing. But there have been trials. Um, and uh, but really, as they've grown, I, I have really enjoyed just growing to being a, a father uh, even more. And so. I, my first choice in life is to generally try to spend time with my wife and those three boys. Um, we do have some very close friends, um, you know, that we spend time with. Uh, we do have um, a, a piece of lake property that has really become, um, you know, our little slice of heaven. That, that just to get away, deal, get on the water. It's very peaceful. Um, that we've got neighbors, but they're they're not like right up on you. Yeah. Um, and and doing that. Um, outside of that, I mean, I, I you know going to going to Auburn. Uh, Love college football in general, certainly all things Auburn. Love college sports in general. My parents did a great job of what I'll call Americanizing themselves. When they got here, you know, mom and dad had season tickets to everything, and and they loved sports in general, and they viewed that that was a way to connect with people. Definitely. um, You know, I don't don't have lots and lots. Obviously, as I've aged, I definitely value travel more, my wife and I. Um, do but probably not enough of it, but we do a little bit of it. Um, and so those are the things that keep me grounded. The um, the Iron Bowl this past year probably was hard. It was heartbreaking. I wish you hadn't brought it up, frankly. But uh, you know what I was proud of is the way that we played. And uh, I don't know if we played that game ten times. You know what the outcome might have been, but on that day, uh, you know we really played well enough to win. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if uh, that last play that Alabama scored on, uh, you know, had been run a thousand times. I think we would have stopped 99, not 999 of them, but they, uh, it was, believe me, my my son and I were, um, on pins and needles, our hearts were racing and then it just went silent uh, after that. Um, but it was an incredible game. It was. Engineered sleep makes the best mattresses out there. Sleep is the number one thing you can focus on right now to better your performance on a daily basis. And you might as well be sleeping on an engineered sleep mattress. Like I said, their products are the best and their customer service is second to none. Their website is engineeredsleep.com. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. So if you or someone you know is looking for a new mattress, reach out to the team at Engineered Sleep and they'll hook you up. Again, their website is engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE15 to get 15% off your order. With um, You mentioned lakes, and that's another great part about the upstate. We have some beautiful, beautiful lakes. And um, Have you been back to Greece? You know, I, growing up, I went pretty frequently. Um, my mom primarily, you know, my dad was the, the worker in the house, and um, my mom and I would go for summers, you know, a mm-hmm. month and a half at a time. Uh, to spend time with family. So my mom had a, a sister that still lived there and my grandmothers were there. Um, and so went quite often. Uh, the last time I think I went uh, was 16 or 17. And then it took another 25 years to get there. So in my 40s, uh, my, my parents were still alive. We wanted to make a trip, took our children and really had a trip of a lifetime. It was wonderful to be with my parents. Um, but the boys got to experience uh, another place, another culture. I think it more than anything uh, gave them a great perspective of how good America is. Sure. Uh, and uh, but we got a chance to go to my parents' hometown, which is the second largest city in Greece. Spend time in Athens and on some of the island, uh, the island where my dad was born, uh, and hadn't been back since. That was gosh, fifteen years ago, so or so. So uh, not frequent enough. But I still do have some family there. My brother actually went a few months ago, and cool. Um, my aunt, uh, the oldest of the three. Um, from my mom's side is still alive, um, and she's the last one. Very cool. It's on uh, it's on my list for me and my wife for sure. Definitely, definitely try to do it with um, the Greenville community. Uh-huh. Um, what do you think is special about the Greenville community and just the growth of the Upstate in general? Yeah, I found you know it's an easy place to sort of get connected. I, there's not uh, you know sort of like some places if you're not one of the heads of the five families, you know, you might not get in. I, I found Greenville to be incredibly welcoming. Uh, the other thing that I really like um, is 
how the community has embraced healthcare. Uh, the people here, the Chambers of Commerce, others have viewed the hospitals as very meaningful enterprises and value um, perspective, involvement uh, from that. And the people, I, I think, have hopefully a trust level with our healthcare systems around here. Um, you know, if you go to a bigger city, uh, healthcare is often another big enterprise, like mm -hmm. many other big enterprises, and, and the engagement might not be as much. I, I found the engagement in the community uh, wonderful. It's a, it's really been a great way to represent the hospital, but do a lot of things in the community that I personally enjoy doing that add value. Uh, outside of that, living here is really second to none. I mean, other than, you know, eight miles of stretch on the interstate, we have no traffic problems. <laughs> Um, people are nice. You have access to mountains, lakes. Um, the beach is not far. It's just a wonderful place to, to live, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and so my hope is, is that particularly Greenville, um, but Spartanburg too, don't lose the character that they've had as a really nice city. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you grow and grow and grow, you know, naturally you lose some of that, that my hope is not to lose some of that. Part of our motivation for the lake is knowing that, uh, uh, that's going to come yep. is that our, our, our little piece, uh, away from everything is, is there. Yeah. A little sliver of heaven out yep. there. Um, Tony, it's been an honor having you on. Um, like I said, I felt honored in a way to come over here and be able to talk with you and he spent so many years working with my dad and, um, getting to know you now more is, I think you're, you know, a lot of what you are embodies what Pella Medical Center is trying to be. And you're a key part of that. Um, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, and I'm excited to do more of these with, with you and the organization. Well, me too. I appreciate you doing that. And your, your words are very kind and people like your dad are really what, what make this place very, very special. And you, you should be proud of, uh, uh the legacy that he's left from a workplace perspective. You know, Sam is a, a highly regarded man in Greenville and, and, uh, and, and again, the things that he did here really helped create uh, what is special about this place. So um, we're just, uh, we're honored that to be part of your great program. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Give our partners some love by visiting their links in the show notes. Spinks Convenience Stores, you can find the location nearest you. Rebel Rabbit Seltzers, they're on a mission to socialize healthier and smarter. So join the mission. And Engineered Sleep, making the best mattresses in the game. You might as well be sleeping on an Engineered Sleep mattress. For me, if you could give our show a five-star rating on your listening platform, that'd be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening.